0: So we're in Ephesians. Last week, we looked at the mystery of the gospel message, the fact that Jews and Gentiles can be unified in the family of God. We also dealt with the fact that the spiritual realm, the angels and demons and even Satan himself, are observing and viewing how we live our lives and our faith. So today, what's going to happen is Paul tells believers first in verse 14, he says this, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So basically right now in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, Paul just takes kind of a moment to pray. And he's telling them, this is what I'm praying for. So let me ask you a few questions when it comes to prayer. What is your prayer life like? What is your prayer life like? And the second question is, is what do you normally pray for? Okay, what's your prayer life like? And what do you normally pray for? Now, keep those questions fresh in your mind as we go through this. But generally speaking, most people tend to pray for temporal things, right? Temporal things are the worldly things, the physical, the material, the things that we see, okay? There's nothing wrong with praying for temporal things. But Jesus actually tells us in the Lord's Prayer that, You can pray for temporal things. Listen to what the Lord's Prayer actually says. Remember, Jesus says, this is then how you should pray. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we've also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So, the only line in that whole prayer that is for a temporal thing is actually, give us this day our daily bread. It's the closest thing to a physical temporal prayer of here on this earth, right? The entire prayer is actually more focused in on our spiritual lives. I mean, actually, some could make a good point that give us this day our daily bread isn't even really talking about physical food Because Jesus actually refers to himself as the bread of life. So some would even argue that it's actually a prayer for spiritual sustenance. Like basically saying like, you know, Jesus, work with me a little more here. Give us this day our daily bread. But the the rest of the Lord's Prayer is about spiritual things. There's also another important prayer in the Gospel of John in chapter 17. And some of you might remember this. This is a prayer that Jesus prays to the Father. And basically in this prayer, it's called the High Priestly Prayer. And Jesus prays that he would bring glory to the Father and that the Father would bring glory to him. Jesus prays that those who he calls would come to know eternal life. Jesus prays that he would accomplish the work of the Father. Jesus prays that believers of all time would keep their focus on the Father's will. Jesus prays for spiritual protection for believers from Satan and his demons. Jesus prays for believers that we would draw our strength from him as the world hates and persecutes us. And Jesus prays for believers that we would have unity among one another. Now let me ask you a question. Are any of these prayers about temporal things? Well, let me ask it this way. Do these prayers look like the prayers that you pray? Or do these prayers look like the prayers on prayer lists that Bible studies or small groups or maybe email prayer chain that that you get? I would say that they probably don't look like those prayers because most of our prayers in life Focus in on what? The temporal things, the things that we see, the things that we need, right? So let me tell you, everything flows out of your spiritual life. So prayers for your spiritual life should not be neglected. In fact, I believe they should come before any other prayer that you offer up. So here's what happens. Here's what happens when we focus just on the temporal things. When I talk about temporal things, I'm talking about what the things that we see, right? The material things, our health, our wealth, the things we want to see happen, people we want to see healed, all these different things like that. But I'm going to tell you, if you just focus your prayers on temporal things, here is what's going to happen. There's going to be two temptations that you fall into. The first is this, and this one rhymes so you won't be able to forget it. We get it and forget it. Okay? We pray for it, we get it and we forget it. Meaning this, I ask for money, I ask for health, I ask for a job, I ask for fill in the blank. We get it and we're like, "Yes! Yes, I got this now." But sadly, we forget that it was a blessing from God that we had asked him for. Maybe we remember for a little bit. We're like, "Oh, God bless me." But then we get it and we kind of forget where it came from. We start to live our lives like we deserve those things or we worked for those things or we take those things for granted. We start to become entitled and we just expect things to go our way. And then when they don't, here's what happens. We fall into the second temptation of this temporal prayer issue. We don't get it and then we doubt God. We don't get it and then we doubt God. When we focus our prayers on temporal things, we may be tempted to doubt God when we don't get what we asked for. So sometimes in life, we really want something. We want to be healed. We're sick. We want to have certain things. We want to be blessed with material wealth and possessions. We want to have a normal family. We want to have a good spouse. We want to have our children do what, they, what they're supposed to do. We want to have fill in the blank. And we ask God, we pray for it, and if we don't get it, we start to doubt God. We doubt that he's there. We doubt that he cares. We doubt that he's good. We doubt that he even hears our prayers that we're offering up. Now, part of the reason we get ourselves in these two situations, get it and forget it, or don't get it and start to doubt God, is because our motives For our prayers tend to be a little off. Listen to what James 4 3 through 4 says. He says, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend on your own passions. You get that? You ask wrongly for selfish motives, to spend on your own passions. Again, I am not saying we should not pray for temporal things, but we can't get so caught up that we neglect to pray for our spiritual lives and spiritual things. So Paul prays in this prayer that we're going to study for a few moments here. Paul prays for the believer's spiritual lives. That's the whole content of this prayer is for the believer's spiritual lives. In other words, he's kind of praying, what, for their spiritual affluence. Remember, the abundance of spiritual opportunities, the abundance of opportunities in our spiritual lives. So today, in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, we're going to learn a model to follow when we pray for the spiritual lives of ourselves and the spiritual lives of the people around us. So let's pick up in verse 14. It's in the handout, or if you want to look in your Bible, it says this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's our spiritual lives. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So I'm going to point out three areas just from this passage. The three areas of our spiritual life in these verses that I want to point out first is we pray for unity in the family. He said we're all part of God's family as believers. So Christians need to be unified. Now, there are so many things that we can focus in on that can cause division among even Christians. We have different ideas, different opinions, different political viewpoints, whatever it might be. There's so many things that can cause division. Obviously, we're never all going to agree on everything. So then we have to say, how do we achieve unity? Well, the best way you and I as Christians can be unified is we focus in on what brings unity among us. And that is the gospel message. The fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. The fact that Jesus Christ rose again to prove that he is God. The fact that Jesus Christ said that all who believe will have eternal life. This is what we are unified by. And this is what we should rally around. This is where our unity lies. So you see, we need to pray that we keep our focus on the gospel message because that is what saves the souls of people. That's why I preach it every single Sunday here. Because guess what? Everything else is kind of peripheral, right? But the gospel message is central. Without the gospel message, there is no salvation. So you and I as Christians, our whole church, and every Christian for that matter, we need to be unified on that. The reason why churches wind up dying or having tons of problems is because they get off focus. They're not focused on the gospel message. So you see, we need to pray that we keep our focus. And guess what? Satan and his demons, they don't want us to focus in on the gospel. Everything else we could tell the people doesn't really matter that much, but the gospel does, okay? And Satan and his demons don't want people to hear the truth about Jesus. They don't want people to hear that truth because that means salvation for them. So we as Christians have to keep our focus, if we have a church that gets off focus of the gospel, we become a social club. We become a good organization or a do-good organization. We become a community center. Or as Jesus would say, we become whitewashed tombs. We look great on the outside, but inside we're dead. We look great on the outside, but inside we're dead. People might look and say, oh, they're nice people and this and that. They never say anything that you know would make me feel a little uncomfortable. Well, guess what? The gospel message makes people feel uncomfortable, doesn't it? Why? Because the entry point of the gospel message is this. We are sinners and we need to admit that we're sinful. People don't want to do that. They don't want to do that. But we have to remain focused on the truth of the gospel message because the souls of people are at stake. The next thing in this in this passage, he prays for spiritual strength through the Holy Spirit. We're not strong, but God is. And the truth is, his strength is available to all believers through the Holy Spirit. We need to pray for ourselves, and we need to pray for our fellow believers, that they realize the strength that the Lord has, that they lean on the strength, that we lean on the strength that the Lord has. Well, what's that strength for? What what kind of spiritual strength do we have to pray for? Well, We have to pray to hold up under temptation, to have victory over personal sin, to be bold in bringing the gospel to people, to maintain our Christian testimony, to do the work he has called us to do, and to fulfill our roles wherever we find ourselves in life, whether it's our family, our work, our friends, whatever role that is. We need spiritual strength for this. Those of you that are parents here, I sure hope you pray for spiritual strength for your kids because everything's going to flow out of their spiritual lives. You know, we get so caught up. Oh, I, I pray this for my kid, or I pray that. I hope they do this, or I hope they do that. Pray for their spiritual sp- strength, because guess what? When your child is spiritually healthy, guess what? Everything's going to flow out of it. Everything's going to flow out of their spiritual life. Next, he prays for this, to, for Christ to dwell in our hearts. Now, this is a kind of a c- confusing one at first read, right? Because as a believer, isn't Jesus dwelling with you? And the answer to that is, yes, he is. He's he's dwelling with all believers. And Paul's writing to believers. We know that because he calls them saints. But in the context of this passage, dwell actually means to feel at home or to feel comfortable. Now think about this for a second. The Apostle Paul is praying that Christ would feel at home and feel comfortable in your heart. So his prayer is that Jesus feels at home, comfortable, dwelling in your life. Now, let me ask you a question. Why wouldn't Jesus feel comfortable dwelling in you? Well, when you're pursuing sinful things, here's what happens. When you're pursuing sin, Jesus does not feel comfortable. And this is when we experience something called conviction. This is why, as a believer... You have that nagging sense. When you're doing the wrong thing, you have that nagging sense of guilt and shame. You're just like, eh, something's off here. I don't feel right about this. It's because Jesus doesn't feel comfortable right now. He's dwelling in you, and he's saying, no, 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 no. This is not the way that you should live. Jesus is not comfortable, and he's letting you know. Now, in these next verses, Paul prays for their love. Let me read that to you. Verse 17, the end part of it says this, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all fullness of God. Now, you might have noticed we sang that song, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. that's what this, that, that song is based upon this passage. The, the fact that we can't even contain or measure how much God loves us. Now, love in our culture is, is harshly misunderstood, I think. Most people, peop, mo, most people only love when they feel like loving, right? We believe love is just an emotion and not a decision. People think if they disagree with someone or challenge what they're doing, it's not a loving thing to do. That's not the love that God models for us. The truth about love is the only way we can truly understand love is looking at how God loves us. Well, how does God love us? You probably know the answer to this because the answer is clear. He loved us through the gospel. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, God had every reason not to love you and me because we're sinners. We offend him. We do things that are against him. And he could easily look at us and say, "Eh, I don't love them. They're terrible. But he loves us. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. So now what the Apostle Paul is praying and what we should be praying for one another and for our own selves is this. We're called to love one another in the same way. That means when people are not good to us. That means when people are not fair to us. That means when people sin against us. That means when there are people that are very unlovable in our life. That means when we just can't find it in ourselves to love someone else, we have to look at how God has loved us and pray that we can love like that. I'll tell you what, in myself, I can't do that. In myself, I cannot do that. And the truth be told is, I don't believe you can either. But God can through us. That's why we pray for that. You see how this prayer goes? Think about this. If you pray like this for yourself and the people around you, you're calling down the power of God to say, you know what? I'm not going to live my life. I want you to live through me. And I want to be like you desire me to be. So here's what Paul does. He closes this prayer with a praise. He closes this prayer with a praise. The reason Paul does these things is, is they serve as reminders. So he closes with a praise that serve as reminders. You may not believe prayer can have an impact in your life. You might not believe that prayer can have an impact on the life of believers. And that's probably why you don't pray that much or pray things like this. But Paul is saying, you got to remember who you're asking here. Remember who you're asking here. So I'm going to read the end of this prayer. He says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let me just briefly summarize this. And I'm going to add a little of my words in. It says, And I'll read it to you. It says this. God can do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Because of his power at work within us. And he does it for his glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Forever and ever. Amen. And we should, like Paul, do what Paul did. Praise him for that.